Amen. That's right. Once again, we're in our study. World religions, cults, and the occult. We are number seven. It rhymes with Roman Catholicism. Bobby is the exact answer that we have. So far, by recap, we've already seen based with the facts, Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. No matter what the media says, no matter what they try to get people to believe, uh, with the guy with the nifty little collar thing. You ever guys wonder what happened to the tie? Was it always just that white little looking thing? Let's just move on. But anyway, no matter what they say, they are not Christianity. It is a pseudo-Christian group. Uh, They are a cult, secular, and biblical definition. They are demonic in that if you disagree with them, what's going to happen? You're going to die. In fact, if we get that far in, in, in the notes, they say, in fact, what you and I believe, just basic biblical Christianity, that it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ, they would actually say that you and I are accursed. We are damned, according to them. And, of course, what's it leading to? It's leading to the woman who rides the beast, Revelation 17. Now, you say, well, that's pretty strong words. What are you, a cult? Catholicism, a cult? Yes. And we took a look at that proof. Now, we talked about their authority. Why do they believe this stuff? Where are they getting this from? How do you know that somebody's a cult? Well, they get off on these areas, and Roman Catholicism, and we saw last time, is off on every single one of them. Certainly when it comes to their authority, oh, they got a Bible, but it's not the same thing as ours. And they also listen to the teachings of man, their own counsels and rulings and all this stuff, and, and that's not what you do to, to uh, stick with the truth. The nature of God and the Trinity, uh, the personal work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man and the means of salvation is where we left off, specifically last time, because their means of salvation is not biblical Christianity. The Bible says it is by uh, grace through faith we are saved. It's only the work of Jesus Christ, but clearly what they are prescribing to people is, is it is a system of works, and they got their whole list of this, here, do this, say this, hail this, uh, hail Mary that, do our Father this, do this, stand up, sit down, all that stuff. That's not the gospel. Their means of salvation is a works-based salvation. That means they are a classic sign of a cult, and that's where we left off last time uh, dealing with the signs of a cult, and again, Catholicism lines up there. But where we left off there is, okay, well, that's what they believe. It's a, it's a false system of works, but what does the Bible say? Okay, and that's where we left off at the top of the page, whatever page that is. Uh, simply says this, in contrast, uh, Roman Catholicism and salvation of works, the Bible teaches clearly that salvation is by grace, unmerited favor, through faith, is your blank there, through faith alone. Salvation is a work of God whereby he, God, saves individuals from the penalty, the power, and one day from the presence of sin. Anybody looking forward to that? You get to heaven and guess what? No more sin nature. In fact, encourage somebody, turn to somebody and say, you're not going to have a sin nature either. And we might get along. <laughs> Finally. No, yeah, we're going to get along. It's going to be awesome, okay? And that's the gospel. It is what? Underline these words, completely by God. It is completely by God and is not on the basis of merit or works. Well, that's what you believe. No, that's what the Bible teaches. And so to contrast where we left off last time, salvation by works, a false gospel, Roman Catholicism, amongst the other signs of a cult, here's what the Bible says about specifically salvation, and here's how wrong Roman Catholicism is. Gets it. Number one, the Bible says it's by grace, not by the good works of Catholicism. It is by grace. Uh, Ephesians, of course, 2, 8, and 10, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through works? Through your good deeds? Trying to at least do 51% verse 49? Right? No, it's by faith. That not of yourselves, it is a what? It's a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that so we should walk in them. But if it is by grace, then it's no longer on the basis of what? 
works. It says it right there. Otherwise, listen to this. Grace is no longer grace. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And that's what we saw. Wait a second. You sit there and say, oh, no, it's the same thing as you. But, but the Bible says we're saved by grace. Well, you're saying I have to finish the job, that what Jesus did wasn't enough. Well, then it's not grace anymore, is it? And it's not just a, well, that's a nifty, profound saying, Pastor Billy. No, that's Romans 11. Verse 6 is what it is. Hey, I do not nullify, Galatians 2, uh, 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. Okay, well, all right, well, yeah, who would dare do that? Well, well, then flip it around. How do you nullify the grace of God? For if righteousness comes through the law by works, by trying to be good, then what? Christ died needlessly or for nothing. So how do you nullify the whole message of the gospel? You say the opposite. You say it is by works. And then what are you basically saying? That what Christ did on here was needless. I can do it myself. Once again, that's pretty perfect. No, I'm quoting the Bible. Okay, completely wrong. Uh, Titus 3. Uh, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, including all the stuff from Roman Catholicism or any other works-based salvation on the planet, which is a false gospel. Could be the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Pick your one. It is not on the uh, basis of uh, uh, deeds, but we have done in righteousness, but according to his what? His mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it is by grace, period, unmerited favor. Regardless of your works, it is something that is a gracious act of God. We can't merit it. He just blesses us with it. Right? So that's what the Bible says. Number two, it says it's by faith. Right? It's by grace. Number two, it's through faith. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who uh, burns in purgatory and suffers endlessly his own... I'm sorry, Tom. Wrong translation. Uh, For I say to you, he who believes is your blank there. He who believes has what? Eternal life. So what you do is you just believe that Jesus existed. No, 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 no. That's Christianese today. People get a big trouble in that one. What it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe on what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Right? It's a phrase meaning that he died on the cross, that God is holy, we are not, that it, he's our savior, it's his work in place of my, right? it's his righteousness in place of my unrighteousness, and he's the only way that I can be forgiven, it's through him. That's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Number two, it says, for we maintain that a man is justified by what? Faith apart from what? Works of the law. Romans 3.28, Romans 4.5. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his penance, his walking up, no, 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 crawling up on his bare bloody knees up these steps at this Fatima shrine is going to, oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. His faith, his faith is credited as righteousness. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified through saying 50 Hail Marys. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong one again. By faith, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2, nevertheless we know that a man is not justified by anything that Roman Catholicism says you have to do in order to be saved. Can I translate that? Because that's what he's saying there. It's not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since the works of the law, listen, what? No flesh shall be justified. So everybody who's trying to get there in their own works, by their own deeds, what's the Bible say? Nobody is going to benefit from that. 
Nobody. No flesh. Zero. You're going that way, you're going to hell. It's only by grace through faith in Christ. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, Galatians 3, so that we may be justified by faith. That's the whole point. We're going, man, I can't. That's our Ten Commandments study, right? That we've been doing on Sundays, right? Oh, no, I can't even keep these ten things. Oh, it leads you to the knowledge. Man, God's holy. I'm not. I'm in a heap of trouble. I need a Savior. And that's, that's what that verse is. It's to lead us to Christ, to point us to that conclusion. I can't get there on my own. No matter how many things you prescribe me, no matter how many our fathers I say in this and religious deeds, I can't get there. I need a Savior. That's what Paul's saying. Now, it's also kept forever. How many guys glad when you get to heaven you don't get kicked out? Except for Bobby, I don't know. No, no, I'm just kidding, Bobby. I think you'll be okay. Let's just move on. No, no, kept forever. Uh, the scriptures declare that nothing is your blank there. Nothing, nothing. Does that include you? Praise God for that, amen? That nothing can separate the believer uh, from Christ. Romans 8, of course. Uh, all true believers, once saved, are kept by God's power, and they're how always, uh, how long saved? Always saved, right? I don't have time to go through all those verses. We dealt with that last time. I ripped out a whole bunch of them for you. Uh, uh, John, you know, chapter 6, man. But no, hey, listen, all that the Father give me come to me. No one, not even yourself, no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. Man, that's such a comforting truth. That's just one. When, when you're saved, praise God, it's complete. God saves you forevermore, right? In fact, he uses specific terms to, I think, drill home the point. Of all things to describe our salvation, he uses terms like this, born again, right? And you got to say that just so it sounds cool, like you're from the child. No, there's a reason why he's using born again, right? Because listen to the procedure, right? He's talking about what happened to us at salvation. We got born again, right? Now, logically, how many guys realize... How many guys were born? Raise your hand. You better raise your hand because you're freaking me out right now. Okay, unless you're a mannequin, I'll give you that one. Okay, no, we're all born again, right? So, right now, now can you reverse that procedure? Right? Can you? How many guys say your mom would scream if you tried? And get away from me, you thing. You know, <laughs> you don't. What? You can't reverse when you're born. It's too late. You can't. It's an irreversible procedure by nature. He uses the same thing on our salvation. Born again. How do you get unborn? You don't. It's an irreversible procedure. The other thing that he uses, of course, is it's not just he gives us life. Now, what's the word that he uses? Eternal life. Now, here's your big question tonight: How long is eternal? It's forever. And we talked about this before. We fried some brain cells with the interns, you know, that one time, that one discussion. And I know you guys have memorized every single thing we've ever talked about. Yeah, we'll be talking about lying this Sunday, so be there or be square. But anyway, <laughs> so now we're talking about, hey, you know, you think about uh, God dwells. This is kind of cool. God dwells in eternity, right? There is no beginning. There is no end, right? Eternity. And he's the one that created time, the beginning, and he's also one that we know there's going to be an end of time, the eternal state at the end, Revelation, right? And so, you know, I got the cross of Christ, what have you. And, and so basically, uh, there's no time. We are on the realm of time, right? Now, let's say that somebody, they got saved over here, you know, early church, right? And they died and they, and they go to heaven, okay? And then we're up here over here and, and Bobby, you know, sorry, Bobby. He, he, tonight, he goes to be with the Lord, right? Or, or, or even, you know, the rapture happens, you know, whatever. Later. But here, from God's perspective, here's fry some cells. This is no, so could it be that all of us on the realm of time, as soon as we get here, we arrive there at the same time? Dude, there's smoke coming off your brains. That's a heavy thought. Let's move on. I don't want you guys to catch fire. 
Well, that's kind of a cool, deep thought, isn't it? Now, wow, we all get there at the same time. Woo, party time. Woo. I don't know. Who knows? But anyway, but forever is the words that are used here. Uh, eternal life. Eternal life lasts forever. Okay, so he, that's what he gives us. We're born again. You can't, re- you can't reverse that. But also forever. Forever. Wait a second. If it's by nature forever, it's eternal. How does something eternal become uneternal? It doesn't, and that's what he's using to describe our salvation. And again, he already mentioned uh, earlier when he talked about by grace, he uses another term, and that's called a gift. A gift, right? Bobby, you're so cool, right? I'm making up for saying that you're going to die tonight. Uh, You're so cool. Uh, You know what? And just just sitting there, you're right. You know, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a piece of gum. You know what I'm saying right here? I'm gonna put it right there, right? And it's just just out of out of kindness, just, just for just you, man. I'm just giving you a piece of gum. I, I know that's over the top, showing my affection, right? I, I know it's too much. Just contain your emotions, please, right? But, uh, but uh, okay, but I tell you what, before you get this, would you please uh, mow my yard? Well, you don't want to do that? I wouldn't either because it's all rocks and ruin your lawnmower. But, uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> can you, I just, I tell you what, just after, oh, you don't have to do it right now because it's, it's, you know, we're in the middle of study, but uh, before you get this, uh, uh, wash my car. Well, what's the point? He's like, it, dude, thanks for the gift, right? That's not a gift. No, I got to earn it. You got strings attached. What does he use as the term for our salvation? It's a gift. There's nothing you can do. It's a gift. It's purely a gift of mercy from him, okay? And that's what he says. And give it for Bobby. I'll actually give you the piece of gum, Okay. So whatever, but you got to take me out to eat. No, let's move on. Uh, let's, uh, uh, this, it, it's it's uh, complete, kept forever. Nothing can separate us, all right? He says that when a professor of Christ, though, turns away, because people say, oh, yeah, well, I know that guy, and he said he was a Christian, and he went forward, and he prayed a prayer, and he was really active, and then he went through this hard time, and then he walked away, and or he became a Mormon, or he became a Catholic, or he became something, or he became an atheist, or he, you know, you hear all those stories. He lost his salvation. Don't tell me that they, No. How many times have we gone through this? What does the Bible say? 1 John 2, 19, and he mentions that there. Uh, he says, it's, it, when some, a professor of Christ turns away, it shows that true salvation never took place. What's that verse say? They went out from us because they never belonged to us. If they had belonged to us, because God keeps his own, okay, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that how many? None of them belonged to us. So if somebody professes to know Christ and walks away from Christ, they never belong to Christ. So no, you can't lose your salvation. But that is kind of a creepy thing because how many people are going to church services thinking they're heading to heaven? But they're not truly. Hey, they can fool us. They can fool me. But you can't fool God. He knows who's only trusting in his one and only gospel. It's by grace, through faith. It's only the work of Christ. If you're trusting any ounce in yourself, you're in a heap of trouble. No, but it is kept forever. And it's a fully sufficient sacrifice, he says there. Through the offering, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus. How long? One time for all. It's it. It's done. And every priest stands daily, ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices. Listen, which can what? Underline that. Can never, ever take away sin. Ever. So let me, let me phrase that a little bit. So, so, so uh, every day when the Catholic priest stands up there and does the Eucharist and says this and take that and, uh, and your tongue this and stand up, do that, sit this, do that, hail this, marry that, and this, that, can never take away sins. 
That's what the scripture says. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for how long? All time. That means it's done. All time, good, for eternity. It's it. All of them, past, present, future, all of them, even the ones we don't even know about. Gone for all time. And so why? He sat down. It's done. Like he said on the cross, it's finished. He sat down the right hand of God, waiting from that time until onward until his enemies are made a footstool at his feet. For by one offering, he, Jesus, is perfected again, he says it, for all time, those who are sanctified, top of the next page. And then it results in good works. See, that's where people say, oh, the Bible says, you know, you work this and work. Well, yeah, 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 but it, you don't get the cart before the horse. Uh, right? We read Ephesians, what? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and 10, and it says we're saved by grace through faith, but what's verse 10 say? Because guess what? Now we're in Christ Jesus, created to do good works. God wants to use you now as a true born and Christian to do some good works, to let other people know about him, to serve him, to be an example to others about him. But that doesn't mean that's what you're doing to try to keep your salvation or earn it or not lose it. That's the after effect. It's a common sense thing. We talked about this before, right? Somebody saves you from falling over Niagara Falls. They didn't have to do it. They just did it out of the kindness, out of mercy. Could have let you went, woo, right? What's the natural response? Hey, can I, can I mow your yard, right? Rocks and all. Can I, you know, like, I'll wash your car. Anything, can I do something? And that's the same thing. Okay, so the result is good works. As Paul says, it's Christ's love that propels us. I want to serve him. And see, that's what's kind of scary, is when you see people in the church, oh, I love Jesus. He's, all oh, the greatest thing. I'm so thankful for what. Hey, could you help stack a chair? Oh, I've got to go. <laughs> I, gee, he's so important to me. He means everything. I'm so gracious. You know, he's one. He's done. I tell you what. Hey, listen, we sure could use some help with the youth. I tell you what. <coughs> I've got a cold coming on. And you never serve Christ? F- what? Now, we're not saved by our works. That's what these guys teach. That's a false gospel. But for you to sit there and say, you're so gracious and thankful for what God has done for you, and you never do anything? It's not a guilt trip. It's like something's wrong. Because logically, I mean, I don't care if it is stacking a chair. If you're doing it for Jesus, praise God. But do something. Because that shows that, okay, maybe something really did happen. Maybe there was a a spiritual exchange. Something changes in your heart when you realize what he's done for you. Nobody should have to pull your teeth to serve Christ. Remember I shared with you the stat before? I used to have this, what I call the 50-50 rule, right? It's, you know, across the American church. No, I don't know everybody's heart. Certainly not, only God does. But if you play the odds, because the church is so infected uh, with so many non-Christians, because the word of God's not being preached, the gospel's not being given, and you might got a bunch of people that doesn't mean they're Christians, so I used to do 50-50 rules. So I go, no matter I was, where I was teaching, wherever I was preaching, I, you know, okay, wow, there's 200, oh man, about 100 of these folks aren't even saved, whoa. And I remember reading the biography of D. James Kennedy. You know what his number was? 80% of the people were not saved. Only 20 were. And you know what he based it on in experience? Because of the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people in the church do 100% of the work, while 80% of the people do nothing why how could you and what he would say is how in the world could you sit there and say that you're so thankful and you understand what christ did for you on the cross and you're so thankful but you never every week after week after week week after week and you do nothing you never talk about christ you never serve christ 
You just punch in your time clock and go your way. Something ain't right. But we are saved uh, for good works. We're not saved by works, we're saved for them. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God acceptable service with reverence and awe for Christ, uh, our God is a consuming fire. Now, that's what the Bible says, right? We're just quoting Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. The Bible says when it comes to this point, the last uh, hinge there on how do you know somebody's in a cult and is a cult, here's the five pillars typically and the means of salvation. We just meant, hey, the Bible says it is by grace, it is through faith. It's kept forever. You can't lose it. It's a complete sacrifice. It's all on Jesus. None of us, right? Quote of the Bible, that's it. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the gospel. Did you know that these guys not only get it wrong, Roman Catholicism, and they preach a system worse? Did you know they have the audacity to say that what we just studied right there from the Bible, that they say we're under a curse? They curse us for believing that? Oh, let's, let's take a look at that proof. The Council of Trent... 1545-1563, declared the following canons, and they maintain, the Roman Catholic Church maintains these today. And I quote, canon number nine, quote, this is from them, if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, faith is your blank there, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be what? Anathema, that means accursed. You are cursed. We curse you if you believe that. Whoa. Canon number 19. If they say, Roman Catholic Church, if anyone says that nothing besides faith is commanded in the gospel, that other things are indifferent, neither commanded nor forbidden, but free, or that the Ten Commandments in no way pertains to Christians, let him be anathema. We curse you if you believe that. What? Canon 24. If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved, okay, and is also not increased... Before God, through good works, right? So if anybody says that you uh, shouldn't have to work for your salvation, but that these works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but it is not the cause and it's not the increase, let him be accursed. We curse you. We curse you to, if you dare say that you don't have to work for your salvation. We curse you. It's not just you, we disagree. We curse you. That's what that word means. Anathema. Let's continue on. Number 27. If anyone says that there is no mortal sin except that of unbelief, or that grace once received is not lost. Listen, if you don't believe that you can lose your salvation through any other sin, how grievous or enormous except that of unbelief, let him be a curse. We curse you for saying that. How dare you teach eternal security? I didn't teach it. The Bible does. But they're saying we curse you for that. Wow. Canon number 30, if anyone says that after the reception of the grace of justification, the guilt is so remitted, in other words, so removed, and the debt of eternal punishment is so blotted out that you are not going to hell uh, to every repentant sinner and that no debt of temporal punishment remains, okay, to be discharged either in this world or in purgatory before the gates of heaven can be opened, let him be anathema. If you dare have the audacity to say you can know for sure today through Jesus Christ you're going to heaven and you will not go to hell. We curse you. Now, I, I got one more to go, but listen, what's the, what's the misnomer out there? And now for the Christian perspective and who they put up there. And yet the bare bones of what we believe in, the bare bones of the gospel, they would literally sit there and say, we cursed you for believing that. You gotta be kidding me. And then you see Christians, oh, we're all, they're the same thing as us. They're cursing us. Wild. 
Canon number 33, if anyone says that the Catholic doctrine of justification as set forth by the Holy Council, no, it's not the Bible, it's the church, Catholic church, in the present decree derogates, D-E-R-O-G-A-T-E-S, derogates, it means to detract from, in some respect from the glory of God or the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ and does not rather illustrate the truth of our faith and no less glory of God and Christ of Jesus. In other words, basically, if you disagree with their version of justification, which is by works, let him be anathema. We curse you. So we can't even talk about this. We even think differently. You're going to curse us? Well, you know what? The Bible curses you. I didn't say that. Paul did. Open your Bibles to Galatians. Let's read. Where does that word come from? Why do they use that word? Well, Paul uses it, but he uses it against anybody who would dare say it's, uh, you're trying to get there other than Jesus. Galatians. Let's take a look at that. Chapter 1. Galatians uh, chapter 1, and let's take a look at what Paul says here, and uh, we'll start with uh, number 6, verse 6, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, when you get there, say moo, moo, give me a little bit of time, because you got to see this with your own eyes, man, because we just, I mean, they literally, everything we believe in, it's by grace, through faith, it's all Jesus, it's complete, I'm not going to hell, and yet every single time they would say, I curse you, I curse you, I curse you. How dare you say that? How dare you disagree with this? You have no right to disagree with this. And it's not just we disagree with you. I curse you, I curse you, I curse you. Really? Well, here's what the Bible says to that. Verse 6, I am astonished, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to what? A different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people have thrown you into confusion. What's the background of the Galatians? People were coming and saying, oh, yeah, it's Jesus, but... Remember, the gospel is not... Anytime somebody comes up to you and says, it's Jesus and Jesus or Jesus, but that's not the gospel. And that's what these guys say. It's Jesus, oh, but... You got to worship Mary. You got to do this. You got to pinch. You got to keep the sacraments. You got He said, that's no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to... What? Pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen to what Paul says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, that's only through Jesus, let him be what? Eternally condemned. You know what that word is? Anathema. It means the curse. It's the same word that they use against us. Paul says, excuse me, you're the one that's condemned. God curses you. And then and for emphasis, as I've already said, so now I'm going to say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Anathema on you. You're the one that's cursed by your own doing. Because you know what? Apparently, you know, we can't even discuss this with you. You are so, what's the Bible says? These people have these false teachers. They have seared consciences, right? It's just like, nothing's going to change you. And so hard, your heart is so hard and your conscience is so seared. But you actually have the, I can't even talk to you, and all you do is sit there, I curse you, I curse you, I curse you. You know what? You've cursed yourself straight into hell. Because we can't even have a discussion on this. Paul says, you're the one. Let him be eternally condemned. That's what the Bible says. Roman Catholicism places an undue stress on human works. Catholic doctrine denies that God justifies the ungodly without first making them godly. In other words, aren't you glad, glad that God... And how many guys had this conception of Christianity before you got saved? Well... I, I got to clean up my act before I get saved. That's what Catholicism teaches. But that's not what the Bible teaches. How many of you guys are glad that the Bible teaches that God accepts you where you are, no matter what you've done? But here's the good news. He loves you so much he doesn't keep you there. And by his spirit, he begins to clean you up. 
Right? But don't get the cart before the horse. All right? But this, uh, good, good works therefore become the ground of justification according to Catholicism. And as thousands of former Catholics will testify, Roman Catholic doctrine and liturgy obscure the essential truth that the believer is saved by grace through faith, not of his own works. In a simple sense, Catholics genuinely believe that they're saved by doing good works, confessing sin, and observing ceremonies. That's a perverted gospel. Galatians chapter 1, let him be eternally condemned. You are teaching people, leading people to hell. That's serious stuff. And then when you realize that, I'll do it again for emphasis, and once again, to hopefully drill in the point. And now for the Christian perspective. And these guys get up there. Blows me away. The Roman system is not a group of way... Oh, listen to this. This is good. Because they say, well, it's just a, you know, it's just a, a, a other denomination or sect of Christianity. Mm, 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 mm. Roman system, Roman Catholicism, is not a group of wayward brothers. It's an apostate form of Christianity. It's a false religion. It's another religion. It's not Christianity at all. No more than Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and any other works-based salvation. It's not. And yet the media has done a masterful job, and the Vatican has done a masterful job of brainwashing people into thinking it's the same thing as us. Just a little different. They wear robes. No, it's not. Now, this is leading us to what we're probably going to do the next couple weeks. Well, what else? Whew, that was bad enough, but boy, they got it wrong on a lot. Well, they get it wrong on a whole bunch more. Okay, <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm just only going to get, to get started into it tonight. Okay, but one of the big ones, I, we got to address, because sometimes you, you say that, uh, and they say, oh, no, we don't do that. Yes, you do, okay, and that is something called Mariolatry, okay, which is they basically worship Mary, okay, not Mary Waxter. I mean, she's cool, and her mom, too. You got Mary in stereo right over there, and, uh, and uh, we love you, but we don't worship you. Don't take that too personal, but anyway, but uh, no, they literally worship Mary. I mean, that's another thing you get wrong. Excuse me, that's an idol in itself. But let's, let's, let's go down that route. Roman Catholicism and Christianity are not the same thing. Christianity is properly defined by certain doctrines, i.e. revealed in the gospel, right? Now, what's the core beliefs uh, of basically the gospel, biblical, what makes up biblical Christianity? One, there's only one God. You are to serve no other gods. Uh, Jesus is both God and man. Jesus rose from the dead physically. Salvation is by grace through faith. We just saw that. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus according to the scriptures. God is the Trinity, and Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. So, here's the point. When someone says, Says, uh, who is, when somebody is a true Christian, they will believe these things and not violate them. That's just the bare bones, right? Roman Catholicism violates many of them. Okay? First of all, by its practice of promoting Mary, and oh, by, oh, by the way, if we can get into it too, uh, the saints, they pray to dead people, which Mary's dead too, in case you're wondering, right? But a whole bunch of other dead people. And they give these dead people, including Mary, but even the saints, God-like powers, right? You got the ambulance, uh, Saint Jude, Saint this, Saint whoever, Saint whatever, and if you need this, and Saint so-and-so's there, they're going to stop the rain, and Saint so-and-so's going to keep your flat tire, whatever, and Saint this, and with finances, and Saint that. What, what, that's stuff that only God could do. And last time I checked, Saint so-and-so is dead. How many guys can agree that a dead person does nothing? Right? And, I don't, don't even experiment with it. Just acknowledge it, okay? Because that would be weird. But I said, what? 
right? So that, that's, that's what they, you got to be kidding. In Roman Catholicism, they say that Mary is the mediatrix. Uh, she made atonement for the sins of man, and she is the subject of preaching and worship, okay? Uh, but let, let's, get, let's go even further on that uh, as we explore that, okay? In fact, I'm just going to rip to you, and I, I'm going to, you can come up here and get a copy of it later if you want to, but I'm going to, according to Catholicism, their view of Mary, right? And, uh, and I'm going to be quoting uh, the catechism, and I'm going to be quoting the popes, different popes, but let me rip through them real quick, okay? You tell me if this is a biblical view of the biblical person, Mary, all right? Uh, but here's what it says. According to Roman Catholicism, Mary is the all-holy, ever-version mother of God, Catechism 721. She is the queen over all things, Catechism 966. She's our advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix, i.e., we go to her... So God, 969, who is full of grace, 722. She's the mother of God and our mother, 2677. The new Eve, 726. The seat of wisdom, 721. She had no original sin, 508. Uh, never committed sin, 493. Uh, she sits on the right hand of the majesty on high, Pope Pius X. No man goeth to Christ but by his mother, Pope Leo XIII. Mary crushed the poisonous head of the most cruel serpent and brought salvation to the world, Pope Pius IX, delivers souls from death, Catechism 966, continues to bring us gifts of eternal salvation, 969. Mary, uh, uh, Mary made atonement for the sins of man, the fundamentals of the Catholic dogma, page 213. We can entrust all our cares and petitions to her, 2677, the Catechism. Give ourselves over to her now, 2677. We need to pray to her, 2679. Have devotion to her, 971. She was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven, Catechism 974. We need to be looking to Mary, 972. In her, the church is holy, 867. And in paradise, the church gathers around Jesus and Mary, uh, Catechism 1053. Here's the $64,000 question. Has the Roman Catholic Church exceeded the scope with its teaching about Mary? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you start to bring this stuff out, and again, they'll say, oh, no, no, you misunderstand. That's not really what we're doing. We don't worship Mary. Really? Well, you might want to talk to these guys who you consider your leaders, and it rhymes with the popes. <laughs> let me back up to Pope John Paul II. Okay, this has been going on for a long time, but let me just give you some current proof Okay, uh, tonight. Pope John Paul II uh, had a massive, massive devotion uh, to Mary, and not just devotion, but worship. Let me give you some of that proof. And, and by the way, what I'm reading to you is just secular information. This is not some anti-Catholic foot. It's in, just in the news, right? Because they don't think anything's wrong with it. But listen to what it says. Pope John Paul II was well known for having a deep and abiding love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. His devotion to her was evident in all he did. His teaching, his prayer life, even his papal motto and coat of arms were dedicated to the Blessed Mother. When he was nearly fatally shot during his papacy, he credited the intercession of the Virgin Mary, specifically Our Lady of Fatima. What's that? That's that vision that appeared on the scene um, out of the blue, which is a, a familiar spirit, demons, that said that she was the Virgin Mary. Oh, by the way, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week on all these visions and Mary and you know, whatever. Uh, but, uh, but he said that's who uh, saved his life. Wasn't God, wasn't Jesus, Right? It was Mary who saved his life. Uh, but how did he develop this lifelong devotion to Mary? In his book, Gift and Mystery, uh, the Pope John Paul II credited his home parish and the nearby Carmelites, that's an order of Marian nuns, brothers, whatever, in Mount Carmel, Carmelites, 
uh, 13th century, that's where that comes from. Uh, also, his uh, uh, father, who regularly took him on pilgrimages to local Marian shrines. Now, let's stop there for a second there. Marian, this is their words, this is their terminology they use, because they're all over the world. We don't worship Mary, really. Somebody paid for a whole bunch of cash to build these Marian shopping centers? No, a shrine. Oh, what do you do at a shrine? You worship. How can you say you don't worship and you build edifices all over the world by nature of their terminology to worship Mary? Marian shrines. It's crazy. Anyway, so let's continue. He also was influenced by another guy, Louis de Montfort. Okay. And he says, uh, yes, Mary does bring us closer to Christ. She does lead us to him, providing that we live her mystery in Christ. When he was elected Pope, he chose his papal model with words written by the Montfort guy. I am all yours to Mary. I am all yours and all that I have is yours. And listen to this direct quote. This is crazy. There is no better way to advance quickly in holiness, no better way to please God, no better way to guarantee one's present sanctity and eternal salvation than with true devotion to Mary. Who's your God? Who are you worshiping here? Right? And this is just flat out, basically, in a nutshell, it is idolatry, is all it is. But hey, I don't know about you guys, but fortunately for the Catholic Church, it was only that Pope who ever did stuff like that. No, Pope Francis, the current guy, he's doing the same thing. Because this is a core thing. They worship Mary, Mariology. Pope Francis, again, this is just secular. Go check out yourself. Secular, uh, recent article. And says this, he heads across Rome to put the traditional crown on the statue of the Virgin Mary in the Piazza uh, for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Now, what's that? It's the virgin birth. No, it's not the virgin birth. That's different. The Immaculate Conception is their false teaching that Mary was, i.e., immaculately conceived without sin. Virgin birth and immaculate conception is not the same thing. Yeah, what's the scripture say? Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even Mary in what's called her magnificant in her statement, right? What she said, she, she was glad in God my Savior. Even Mary, out of the words of Mary, admitted she needed a Savior. Right? If you have no sin, you don't need a Savior. But even she admitted that. So that's what uh, he was doing. He was over there. As a reminder, not only of his personal devotion to Mary, this is Pope Francis, but a broad papal love affair across the century. Maintaining a tradition that began in 1953, where the column of the Immaculate Conception stands tall, Pope Francis, surrounded by thousands of locals and curious bystanders, will bless a crown of flowers that will be hung around the right arm of the image of the Virgin, and a second flower arrangement with the SPQR. SPQR. You guys know anything about that from history? Okay, we'll get to that in a second. SPQR. And that'll be placed at the bottom of the statue. Now, SPQR are the initials of the Latin expression Senatus Populus Romanus, which dates back to the time of the Roman Empire, in which the English translates to the, uh, uh, it means the Roman Senate and the people. So woven into this, remember our, we took the time to do the history? Where did all this stuff come from? It's not the Catholic, which the word, I believe it's Latin, meaning universal. It's not just the Catholic Church, universal church, right? It's the what? What's their name? Roman Catholic Church. Why? Because where did this start? Where did the papacy start? Where did this false teaching start? Where did this uh, entity that wants to have this universal church, all the religions around the world? It started with Constantine, the Roman emperor, 
shortly after that. And his edict to get, have all religions come together as one. And shortly after that, they grab control of the government. They, and so even into their own words, even still to this day, you get hidden clues of what they're really all about, which is what Revelation 17 talks about. It's not just a woman, a one world religion. It's a woman who rides the beast. The beast is the one world government. These guys want what they had and they lost at the Reformation. They want control of all religions and all governments on the planet. And the Bible talks about in the last days there will be a revived Roman Empire coming back on the scene. And these guys still want what they had because they were birthed out of that Roman Empire. Right? So anyway, that's still even and still being promoted uh, to this day. Now, Francis' love affair with Our Lady is well documented. Uh, from his yearly, yearly attendance to Argentina's massive pilgrimage to the uh, shrine of Our Lady of Lujan, a uh, patron of uh, Buenos Aires. He regularly also visits Rome's Basilica of St. Mary Major to venerate the famous icon of Our Lady. And n- notice these, these are all over the world. And he goes and he goes there and he worships there. These are worship shots. Earlier this year, he also made a politically charged trip to Mexico, um, delivering a strong appeal in favor of immigrants. Remember that one? You shouldn't build that wall. Oh, hey, what was that picture we showed? Oh, that's right. You have a massive wall surrounding the Vatican. As you're making that statement, no walls. And you know what they call that in the South? Hypocrite. Yeah, it's hypocrite. Let's move on. Uh, immigrants, and he said at the time that he had, to t- he had to take the trip there to visit Our Lady of Guadalupe, another shrine over Mexico. And he says this, How could I not come, Francis said? Could the uh, successor of Peter called from the far south of Latin America, deprive himself of seeing the virgin. In 2013, soon after his election, he changed an already planned trip to Brazil to participate in World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro to include a trip uh, to the Shrine of Our Lady of Alpercia, whatever that is, another shrine. Francis also spoken about uh, his devotion to Mary has helped him through the election of the papacy about praying the rosary three times a day and he always makes a point of stopping and even presenting flowers at the feet of Our Lady when she's, when he, uh, she's in St. Peter's Square or whenever he celebrates Mass during his trips abroad. So wherever he goes, he'll even change trips, change his itinerary to make it to another shrine. To Oh, but we don't worship Mary. Really? You might want to tell it to your leaders. During his papal visit to, Pope, uh, to Poland last July, uh, he, listen, he tripped and he almost fell while celebrating the Mass at the uh, Jasna Gatna Monastery, and speaking to the journalist on the flight back, he said that he was simply, quote, looking at the Madonna, and I forgot about the steps. Yeah, this stuff is, is hazardous to your health. You know, <laughs> he's just like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, he also, this is a secular article, I couldn't believe this one. He, Pope Francis said he even gave up TV in 1990 because he, of a promise he made to the Virgin of Carmel. What, do you talk to her? Yeah. The Pope's devotion uh, to the mother of God wasn't always as strong as it was now. Uh, Quote from him. This is where, how did this start with this guy? Listen, quote. He said, he says, if I remember well, it was 1985. One evening, I went to recite the Holy Rosary that uh, uh, that was being led by the Holy Father. He's talking about Pope John Paul II. He said, I got lost in prayer. Can I translate that for you? You're doing this thing. Flipping through those beads, man. 
What do we see happen in our New Age study when you do that in Hinduism? You get into an altered state of consciousness. Oh, you're lost in prayer, all right. You're like, oh. I was lost in prayer, he said. And he said, quote, I felt that this man, Pope John Paul II, chosen to lead the church, Catholic church, uh, was following a path back to his mother in the sky. And from that moment, I recite the 15 mysteries of the rosaries every day. Dude, what kind of a state of mind are you in? I mean, if you're getting into an altered state of content, this is crazy. Now, what's crazy, you know, he mentions, oh, this rosary. But what's even crazier, he, only miss, he does this every day. Right? The rosary. And you're, and you're thinking, remember, that's, that's part of your penance. Okay, work, your, work your sins off. Right? Remember, we, that was one of our first studies. So you're not only trusting that, but listen to what he said about the cross of Christ. The only way to get to heaven. Watch this. This is wild. Le voy a contar una confidencia. I'm going to tell you something private. Yo en el bolsillo, in my pocket, llevo siempre dos cosas. I always carry two things. Un rosario. Rosary. Un rosario. Para rezar. To pray. Y una cosa que parece extraña. Something which seems odd. ¿Qué es esto? Y esto es la historia del fracaso de Dios. This here, in this item, is the history of God's failure. Es un via crucis. It's the way of the cross. <laughs> God's what? Failure. And he goes on saying, that's what, he's, he just, that's what his hope is in. I'm flipping through my beads. Carry this in my pocket to remind me all the time. How could you even say that? Oh, now let me do it once more for dramatic presentation. And now for the Christian perspective. What? I hope, and we still got a few more weeks to go. Lord willing. And I hope it's not fleshly anger. But I hope that as Christians, even our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would take a hold of them in a biblical profound way. Lay hands on them. When we hear our fellows and brothers and sisters in Christ say, hey, what are you talking about? Catholics are the same as us. Do you have any idea what's coming out of your mouth? It is so diametrically opposed to everything we live. And even their top leader today says that the cross is God's greatest failure. I'm not saying this. They are. It's there in the news. It's crazy. Now, the thing is, well, where do they get this whole Mary worship thing? I mean, it's bad enough, all this other stuff we've seen. Well, they get it from, of course, two things. And one, that was their authority issue. They follow the teachings of man. Okay, uh, number two, what we're going to see next time is they also get it, believe it or not, it might sound harsh, they get it from demons. Because he mentioned, or on the article mentioned, Our Lady of Fatima, right? These visions. And they actually also derive some of their teachings, a lot of their teachings nowadays, 
is also lumped into this authority category. Where would you drive? Well, you get it from the popes and what they say, the church councils, your Bible, which is not the same Bible as ours. Okay, uh, you get it from all these church rulings and your supposed theologians and all these other things and tradition. Can't forget that one. But you also get it from these demonic visions appearing around the world of these people saying, it's the Virgin Mary. Is on your toes? Really? Apparently, this is why I eat bagels. So, personally, and I've been spared from that uh, accursed behavior. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, woo, I'll tell you what. But, uh, no, that's it. You're absolutely right. And they do that. And we've talked about that before in our final countdown stage that people, they see a Mary in the, in the bark of a tree. And I think I've shared that video with you guys. And, and this statue that's supposed to be weeping, I'm going, dude, that looks like pigeon stuff but then they encase it in plastic so you can't whatever and then, oh, they, throw, they got flowers they're doing coins and candles it's like what oh but we don't worship mary so next week lord willing we're going to get into that aspect why do they worship mary where did all this come from how did it get started once again okay teachings of man false teachings of man but also believe it or not this demonic issue and we'll take a look at that let's go ahead and well hi this is pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and get a life ministries and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go 
to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.